Hi, and welcome to another episode of Elite Rugby Banter, the podcast all about rugby. Um, today, I am your host, Phil, and I'm joined by our usuals. So, together, I have Ant and Andrew. Firstly, Ant, how are you doing? I'm warm, sunny, balmy, and humid. Yeah, so... I'm from a far location. It's been, been great. So we have the pleasure of Ant's company all the way from Mauritius this evening, so he's really dedicated to the cause, and um, <laughs> despite all the good weather, he's happy to join us and talk all, all things rugby. Andrew, and how's Joburg going? I think I think you cut Ant short there, shame. <laughs> yeah, I was just, just, just rubbing it in that I've also eaten three rounds of desserts tonight, so. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, decidedly less exciting than Mauritius, let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, it depends I mean, which part of Mauritius. You know, talking about the nine to five, that is decidedly unexciting. I, th- I think examining birds is more fun than that. Although my colleague didn't know, couldn't identify a bat versus a bird tonight, um, and then asked if they lay eggs. So, <laughs> oh, wow. I was going to say, well, they both it's, have it's wings. Really <laughs> they're both of wings. They both land in trees, and they both squawk. That's that's her um, identification scheme. So I think that I mean that covers the jizz of birds, doesn't it, Andrew? That's the technical term. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, that's yeah. You can't just say jizz and not explain what you mean. Um, <laughs> so in birding terms, that stands for general impression of shape and size. It doesn't. Uh, it's not what it sounds like. <laughs> You're allowed to say you go around looking at birds' jizz. I mean, that's a commonplace saying in the birding circles. Yeah, so... Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) on to rugby. Moving on from from birds' jizz and all of that good stuff. (laughs) We've had a lot of rugby going on over the past month. Um, Specifically, in this last weekend, we had um, URC, Super Rugby, and Six Nations all on the go on the very same weekend. So it's been quite tough to at least watch live every single game. But, you know, we've done our best and caught highlights where we can. So without further ado, should we um, dive straight in? I think uh, let's start with the Six Nations. We are three games in, so over the halfway point. Folk predictions about how things might turn out so early impressions or impressions at the halfway point and you want to start us off Wales was shit um as, as andrew so eloquently predicted um ireland are looking shit hot france less shit hot scotland fairly good until they played france and then not White is shiny, and England, we still don't know if they're good or not. Yeah, it's a pretty good uh, summary of the whole <laughs> of the whole tournament so far. I think um, one of the things we spoke about specifically with Ireland, just starting from the top of the log, they've got three wins out of three, of course, was how they would manage without um, Sexton in particular. And he's only played one of the matches so far. So I think Ross Byrne, who hasn't really been given the backup before, we've seen a lot of Joey Carberry when Sexton hasn't been playing. I think Ross Byrne has looked a lot sharper as a backup, and that they've really benefited from that. And even having Craig Casey in the last game um, as a new backup scrum off is quite exciting for them. So, yeah, beating France at home is a great result for them. Um, Andrew, do you think Ireland will be able to push on? They still have a couple of tough games. I think um, Scotland away and then at home against England to finish off. So going for a grand slam, or was that a bit too too much? I think they're pretty odds-on for a Grand Slam at this point. Uh, England have not looked brilliant, and they've had some some easier fixtures and, of course, lost to Scotland. So I don't think England will be too much of a, a speed bump on the way to a Grand Slam. Um, yeah, and that, that'll be that. Um, Scotland, I mean, your aunt, I think it's a little unfair to say they were bad against France. I mean, they were within a try until extra time. I said slightly less good. As in, <laughs> after the first two rounds, everyone was, you know, talking up, well, are they going to take the grand slam themselves? And they kind of were brought down a little bit, particularly those first 20 minutes um, against France. Yeah, I mean, but, I mean, on the balance of things, they're still looking a lot closer to France and Ireland than they are to England and Italy. Um, yeah. 
know, they, I'd say they top, you know, they come to be a top off team, not a bottom off team, but they, that did show some of the old Scottish weaknesses in those first 20 minutes, that vulnerability. Uh, okay, that, that that's fair enough as a balancing comment, I think. Um, yeah, the, the Grant Gilchrist red card was unfortunate, but then at least equaled out by, um, what's that French prop, Mohammed House or something? House. Yeah. House. Uh, yeah, that was, I mean, that was even worse. That, that uh, head first dive into the scrum off. What the hell was he thinking? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Scotland have been good. I mean, everyone knows I'm partial to the Scots. Uh, I think talking up a first Grand Slam since 99 was very premature. Uh, <laughs> some big fixtures left on the, on the schedule. So I don't know why they, they jumped into that so, so early, but oh, they've been playing good rugby and they're still missing Darcy Graham, who I think is, even though uh, Duhan's been fantastic for them, I think he's still their best outside back. Uh, so yeah, they've, they've been good. Um, Italy have shown they belong there at least. Um, they're still without a win, uh, but that game against Wales looms for the for the wooden spoon. But Italy have Italy have challenged and played good rugby, and you know they've they've made a good account to themselves. And I think that was probably what they were looking for, right? I don't think one one win is pretty much par for Italy uh, in this tournament. So yeah, I, I think well, I, mean, I think they'd, they'd be expecting to get the win over Wales at this point. And I mean. It, they were, they've been very solidly in all three games with an opportunity to win it with plenty yeah. to go. You know, and it's, it's been really touch and go against England, France, and Ireland. I mean, yeah. Wales. Yeah. yeah. I, I, think, I think I saw Not something Wales? like for the first time ever, possibly, I think I saw that uh, Italy are going into the Italy-Wales match as favourites, like with the bookies. Yeah. So, so that's saying something, right? But they're playing in Italy, yeah? Yeah, in Rome. Yeah. I mean, look, if you think about it, they beat Wales in Wales last year. Wales have been annihilated by everyone. And, um, you know, Italy have not been annihilated by it at all. I mean, they've been properly in the games with the chance to win it against, you know, if England, who are maybe the easier team, but both France and Italy and Ireland, they've been properly on the cusp of winning those games. Yeah. I think Wales, yeah, were, Wales were probably flattered by the last result. I think they went down, what, 20 to 10 against England. Uh, England have not been at their best, and also seven of those ten points came courtesy of a Louis Rees Amit intercept try. So, uh, that, 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 were way better than twenty points suggested. As in, they're way more dominant. They weren't better. Yes. I don't think the scoreline was an unfair showing because England were pretty shit as well. <laughs> but it should have been like twenty versus minus ten. <laughs> that probably would have been a fair. Score. I don't think they deserved more than twenty points, yeah. but, but Wales probably the margin deserved to be bigger. It was like one of those classic Welsh games where they just sort of drag it down there, right, and like keep you close without being good. And like we've seen it time and time again against the Springboks, where yeah. Wales just do the same. So I mean, I guess that's Gatlin's thing, right? You make the game shit and hope for the best. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's harsh. only ten points in the game, and you know it's a lot easier for a random drop goal to land on your side of the scoreboard. Yeah, exactly. Are you saying that's that's Gatlin's thing? Apparently, Steve Borthwick's thing is is dumping his best fly half. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, that's a uh, controversial. It's controversial. <laughs> I mean, I I don't hate it, your your statement. Uh, I'm somewhat yeah partial to Marcus Smith's talents as well, but um, yeah. So uh, is Marcus Smith better than George Ford? I yes, think so I think uh, not, not a ceiling at his current level. Luke. Is Marcus Smith better than a hundred test cap English player? Wait, no, that's no. Come off. Surely, yeah. Um, Johnny Wilkinson or? No, I was, I was, sorry, I was thinking of um, his halfback part, Ben Youngs. Youngs. Yeah. Ben Youngs, yeah. No. I mean, he's probably a better fly off than Ben Youngs. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and look, because they they have um, what's his name? Nick Evans is the attack coach who was um, coaching or at least the attack coach for Harlequins as well during their amazing season. So if anyone's going to get the best out of Marcus Smith, I feel like it's him. So the more game time you give him before the World Cup for me, the better. I'd just like to see them back him. Uh, I think it's always overblown whenever um, Smith and Farrell are together and things don't quite work out. There's other ways to solve the issues, I think, than not necessarily starting both of them. So, yeah. yeah I, mean, I, I think it's only fair to give Smith a run with a proper 12 outside him. If you think about it, he's only ever played with Farrell outside him, who's not a proper 12, yeah. in the way that, say, an Esther Hazen or an Ollie, Ollie Lawrence is a proper 12. 
Mm. You know, so Farrell's been suddenly looking a lot better at 10 because he's got a proper 12 outside him. Yeah. Give Smith the same chance and see what can happen. I think that's that's only fair. Yeah. Yeah. I think Oli you know, they've really lost their shot at that because they've, they've ditched it for Italy and um, Wales, the two easy games. You know, they've only got Ireland and France left, so you're not going to throw your, in quotes, rookie fly-off in that mess. For sure. Andrew? Yeah. I was going to say, uh, Oli Lawrence has been something of a revelation the last couple of games. Um, doing has away he been with, as I, good as the commentators say that? Uh, I, I've been pretty impressed. I mean, I think he's he's worth a protracted go in the, in that channel. But uh, mm, sure. what do you do about what do you do about Farrell? You know, do you have to start him in fly half then? I would argue no. But yeah, what you'd rather play Smith and Lawrence, very young rookie, especially if you're playing with Fleet. I mean, that's like 30 caps, not even between nine, ten, twelve. Yeah, that's risky. But sometimes you have to be bold. Yeah, it's a new coach, new combinations. Why not? Yeah. They're already shit. What do they have to lose? <laughs> <laughs> I th- yeah, I think Oli Lawrence was very good in the, was it the first match against Italy uh, or the first match that he played? This weekend, like, he was still decent, but obviously the whole team was not quite as effective. But, um, yeah, it's definitely an improvement. So it should be interesting to see how if they can improve upon where they've been, see how that goes. So, Do you expect them to get big scores put on them by France and Ireland? I don't think big scores. Competitive? I, I, I don't think Ireland and France, neither of them are the sort of teams who are going to put massive scores on teams unless they're like vastly superior, which I don't think they are. I think Probably England... Or Wales? I, I, I don't think... I'm not sure. It, it could have been quite big. You're you're right in that sense, but I also think that Wales are here, and by here I mean at the bottom because you obviously can't see my screen if you're listening. <laughs> and no, then there's a big for sure. Gap. I was just, yeah, just yeah. wondering. That, that was basically the point. If you're putting 30 points on Wales, yeah, you're not yeah, going to sure. put 30 points on England in theory, or so, not, yeah. at least the scoreline will be closer. Yeah. yeah, it was Wales 10, Ireland 34. Um, Scotland beat Wales 35-7. Um, I don't know what else that was. Yeah, uh, Ireland 34, Italy 20. So those were some of the bigger ones. Okay, so we know Ireland are going to score in the mid 30s. <laughs> pretty Seems sure they scored in the mid 30s against France as well. Yeah. <laughs> they, hit, they hit 35 points and they just be like, oh, we're done. We're packing it in. Yeah. That's probably if uh, James Lowe can re- remember how to finish. <laughs> He's The last game, he, he dropped one over the line and then was pulled down like a, within a meter of the line uh, and threw the ball back in. And then, of course, there was the infamous one where he actually put his foot out, but they awarded the try. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he, he needs to learn how to finish some tries on the left wing there. Yeah. Well, I think it's coming back to an old comment, but I can't remember who they threw at him and he took a lot of personal offense at it of him just being accused of being as slow as a cart horse. And, like, that try against France, I mean, he had a good five meters of pure space. There was no way his pen should have got to him. Yeah, so he's really not doing his reputation yeah. of being slow any favors. Like he's never been that fast of a player. Like his best Super Rugby days were like him and Dmac just linking up, using their like agility and stepping and all of that much more than out and out pace. Um, yeah. Sometimes even at Newlands, I remember them just lighting it up. It was so great to see those two in in unison. I I, I sort of miss that. Yeah. Does Dmac have an Irish qualified grandparent somewhere? <laughs> He's just got to wait three years or whatever yeah. the stand down rule is now. Oh, when was the last? No, he hasn't played for New Zealand. When was last his last test for New Zealand? He was injured for the year. Okay. And he didn't yeah. play last year. Not sure. I mean, actually. he might be eligible to start for the World Cup. <laughs> Mackenzie. I mean, he's definitely got some Scottish heritage in there somewhere. <laughs> Mackenzie, sure. Could be Irish. Could be Irish. I don't know how these things work necessarily. Uh, yeah. It's interesting, Ireland have a, a New Zealander and an Australian uh, on on the wings finishing. So yeah. I don't know, is the, is the episode title for this one, Irish Men Can't Finish? Or... <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, so, yeah, keeping with the Six Nations, but I just wanted to check in how you guys are feeling in terms of South Africa's prospects in the World Cup, knowing yet we have to face... Uh, Ireland and Scotland in the groups. Any any worries there? Feeling very confident about either finishing first or second, or perhaps Scotland's form is you know a little bit a uh, little bit 
room for worry in terms of a Springboks perspective? Uh, from my perspective, I mean, Ireland's always going to be a big game. Um, if they don't have home advantage, I think I back the Springboks for that one. Uh, we haven't seen the box for a little while, but um, Ireland are looking very, very good. But the Springboks have what it needs to win, and they usually peak around the World Cup. So we'll see, and Ireland usually do the opposite. So we'll hope that happens. Uh, Scotland's become a game that we should still expect to win, but that we can't we can't slack on. You know, we can't go and rest our best players anymore against Scotland. They're, they're an actual uh, threat. So... Yeah, I don't know. James Lowe, uh, not James Lowe, uh, Hugh Jones may may come back to to haunt where he learned his rugby properly. I mean, he's and he's, Brun, and Pierskulan, and <laughs> Yeah, all of all of them. Huh? Well, I mean, South Africa B team, yeah. Well, Hugh Jones is a bit of a push we're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I, get, I get the point. But I mean, I did want to ask also, uh, like Hugh Jones is obviously in amazing form at the moment. But yeah, let's go to Ant. How how good is Hugh Jones? Where does he rank in terms of thirteens uh, at the moment on the global stage? I mean, it's hard to compare because he hasn't got a huge amount of like international form to go off. You know, he's only just been recalled back into the All Black squad. <laughs> Shit, he has a New um, Zealand grandmother. I'm sure he does. Uh, or if he did, the Scottish still would have capped it. Um, but, no, I mean, like, I think he's one of the two form 13s in the competition at the moment, between him and Fiki. I mean, Fiki's been playing. It's, it's, it's so hard to say that Hugh Jones is the player of the tournament because he's probably most of the years would be up there, given his try scoring rates and just his, his the, the the line straightening ability he's brought to that Scotland backline, which has really just added a good element to it, um, as well as his combination with Tui Pilotu. But, you know, Gail Suki's also just an, and Gary Ringrose, actually, you know, like, all in incredible form at the moment. Um, I mean, it's, even someone like Brex is playing pretty well. And Mason Grady hasn't, didn't have a bad debut. So it's Bundy, interesting to go from our... I'll just say Bundy, Bundy Aki also played out of his socks. I mean, it was against Italy, but... Uh, he, he was also really, really imposing in the last game he played. I mean, he dropped the ball over the try line, and every <laughs> other report I read was that he was horrific. That he was, he was just a leaky hole at 13. Well, I only saw the but attacking like, highlights, and he looked pretty good in those. <laughs> yeah, but that's the problem. He's, the, the, the commentary is that he's only good with ball in hand. But I think Italy made more line breaks in this game than both France and Wales combined, or something silly, like okay, through the 13 channel. Then your 13, your 13 is your defensive organizer, so I take it back. <laughs> yeah, so that's a, that's basically the comments that I that I heard was that he was pretty poor on the defensive side and you know made a couple of key attacking errors, um, but you know kept Italy far more in the game than they would have been otherwise. So um, I've never been the biggest fan of Aki personally. I think he's a very one-dimensional type player, but that's by the by. The, the point I was going to make is that. Uh, for how many years have we been talking about that there haven't been any world-class 13s around? There was Jonathan Davies for a while and no one behind him. And then there was Lucanio Am and kind of no one around him. And now suddenly in the Northern Hemisphere, we've emerged in you know, four or five really strong contenders for proper world-class outside centers. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'd say on current form, uh, Hugh Jones is definitely on that list. Yeah. I'm not not uh, Len Eketal, the player you, you guys traded between each other today in our Super Rugby draft. Yeah, I think, but you know, if you've got Revolver, Revolver um, and Geordie Barrett, you really need Nicotel. Yeah, I mean, I might, when you, especially when you compare it to the class of Fergus Burke. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might be mistaken, but I think uh, our good friend Mitch, our Aussie friend Mitch, might think that Nicotel is the best 13 in the world. There might be a bit of bias there, but uh, sure. I'm sure I'm sure he said that before. Based on, on form last year, I think Squidge was agreeing. Um, I think there's there's been quite a lot of shout based on the 2022 test season that oh. Ikitao was up there with best. I mean, again, that was because Am was injured. It's just yeah. part of, you know, always be, be cognizant of that. And I think the Northern Hemisphere players have all kind of stepped up. But we also need to bear in mind they're also all playing Northern Hemisphere teams, which always is why I'm always like a bit... <laughs> I take the Six Nations performance with a great assault. They're yeah. so... But, uh, there's so much focus on it's the greatest tournament in the world 
Um, that kind of any marginal performance against a whale, people blow out of proportion and think that now suddenly this person is the next like Richie McCaw in terms of global dominant rugby force. And then they play New Zealand and have 30 points put in them. You're like, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> and I don't think that that maybe holds as much water as it has in previous years, but I do think there's a still a strong element of that. You know, like New Zealand players don't get super excited when a guy scores four tries against Argentina, but you know, Ali Lawrence has a standout game against Italy, and everyone's suddenly like, he's the best in 12 in the world. And like, yeah, but it's just a bit more chilled. That's fair. That's fair. I, I, I think the one thing with uh, especially the English um, journalists or press or whoever it is, is that sort of frustrating to the point of irritating, like overhype, on, especially on an individual performance or a youngster and we have it the same to some extent with you know those australian youngsters talking about mm-hmm. these teenage sensations and all of that but uh well <laughs> and how much chat was there about young tom liner last weekend yeah, yeah. so we'll, we'll get a bit more into that with our super rugby chat but um yeah uh, just one point yeah on italy so they've only had one game back with garbisi at 10 and they i think they definitely looked better they just uh have a lot more focus i mean tomaso allen's a pretty decent player himself but having God, BC, someone of his class, makes quite a big difference. So, yeah, we're we're obviously expecting them probably to beat Wales in the next match, but they also have Scotland, and that's if they play well, that's also a, a winnable fixture. Even if, um, yeah, Andrew might be hoping that they can't win that one, it should be interesting to see, and it should be a a really good end to the to the Six Nations. A lot of interesting matches. So, just to finalise, just the Six Nations. You guys think Ireland are going to take it? Grand Slam and all. I mean, I think that that is the that should be the expectation. I think if you've got a tournament where you only play each team once, generally it should kind of go five wins, four wins, three wins, two wins, one win, zero. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think my biggest takeaway from the Six Nations, and I think in general, there's just been a lot more engagement from South Africans. And I don't know if that's because of the URC. I don't know if it's because of the World Cup year, or, or I don't know if it's just because the competitiveness and quality of play of the Northern Hemisphere has improved. And probably it's a combination of all three, but it definitely feels like there's a lot more awareness and people keen to watch the, the Northern Hemisphere games. I mean, people were making plans quite deliberately to watch, say, France versus uh, Scotland and France versus Ireland, you know, the, the kind of the big game so far. So that's been quite cool to see that there's a lot more engagement with the, the tournament um, from the side of the world. Yeah. yeah. Ireland are going to win it, uh, and France probably be second, and Scotland probably third, and that's that's uh, with with England, Wales, and Italy not really up to scratch. I think that's going to be a, a bun fight for the bottom half. Um, but it's it's that the Italy Wales game is probably going to be the wooden spoon playoff, um, and the and the France Ireland game, as we predicted, is probably going to be the the trophy playoff, and and Ireland came through that as victors. So yeah, I'm backing them. Yeah, I mean, if it's all uh, like transitive and it works out nicely, like we should have a pretty clear order of first to six, and we'll see how that goes. The so, big hope, though, is that if in, in Italy put 15 points on um, Wales this weekend, Wales go down to 13th in the world below Georgia and Samoa. So <laughs> we know we know what um, Matt is rooting for this weekend. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Like Georgia, obviously they beat them recently, but like. I can't even remember when Samoa had a decent result against like one of the tier one, you know, traditional tier one teams. So, or Samoa to even have a chance of going above Wales seems crazy. But that would be embarrassing for them. So let's hope it happens. <laughs> uh, we don't hate Wales that much on this podcast, but we did establish that it's a what is it a suburb in Joburg or <laughs> the title yeah. of our last. <laughs> and we we haven't been proved that far wrong based on the Six Nations so far. So. Um, yeah, so just changing uh, focus slightly. So the URC has been going for, I mean, pretty steadily along, very intermittently. We sort of get a week here and a week there and then another break. So we had two matches this weekend, which were both catch-up fixtures. Uh, the Sharks host, hosted Ulster and the Lions hosted Glasgow, in which were both really important games because Ulster and Glasgow were and are above the Sharks and the Bulls in terms of the South African race to the playoffs. Um, unfortunately, Sharks lost at home. They lost 24-31, but the Lions managed to pull out a win 35-24. Uh, 
Um, and we've had a few matches over the last month or a few rounds over the last month. So anything that's really stood out for you guys? Um, Andrew, to you first. The Sharks were very disappointing, I thought. Uh, I was, As a Stormers fan, I was really hoping that they would do us a favor and keep Ulster at bay. Um, thanks to you and the Lions, Phil, for, for doing that for Glasgow, who were probably worse off given um, the, the the lack of internationals in, in the squad. But um, the Sharks also went into the game, as did Ulster, without a number of notable names. Um, I'm, I'm worried about... You know, the Sharks have become... Uh, a big label team with uh, the private investment coming in. Um, they've got some really notable players on their books, but they're not getting fantastic mileage out of them. And when they don't play, the Sharks look vulnerable. And that's a little bit worrying. Um, I'd, I'd love to hear Ant's um, comments on their depth. But contrast that to the Stormers, where we didn't have seven Springboks by virtue of rest and and uh, injury, and we still managed to go to Loftus and in front of a record crowd beat the Bulls. Um, uh, the Sharks, the Sharks just didn't look up for it on the day, unfortunately. Uh, and Ulster are, are charging on and, and threatening that that top three. Uh, so, yeah, thanks to the Lions, it's great to see them playing some good rugby and getting an important win, um, keeping them in the hunt for top eight positions potentially if they're very lucky. It's still mathematically possible, so they've kept themselves in in. In, in, in contention, but um, disappointing uh, drop for the Sharks there. Yeah, yeah. It's, the Sharks, uh, I suppose the same criticism that, that they came under from the Sean and Everett era is that they look like a team that relies far more on individual brilliance than any kind of coach structure. You know, you've got guys like Grant Williams and Werner Koch and Taki Abrams doing really good stuff kind of just one sort of flashes of magic and then the team kind of just loses shape and drops the ball and nothing really happens and you know, they kind of go behind the scoreboard, they get motivated, someone does something crazy, they score, they get back in the game. I don't know. Um, and so I don't know if it's a lack of on-field leadership. I don't know. And, and maybe that's the difference that when the Springboks are available, they can provide that. I don't know if it is a coaching issue. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, the squad's been around for the most part, in quite a while, this particular squad that played, you know, obviously the guy, the one without Khaleesi and Bongi um, and Etzebeth, etc. You know, guys like Pepsi and James Fenter and Henker Fenter like Coburn Hobbler, they've been kind of the mainstays for the Sharks for the last two or three years. Um, so you can't say it's a squad cohesion issue, you can't say it's a development or these, like these are youngsters coming through type issue. Um, so it's, it's very difficult to pinpoint what exactly is wrong and what exactly needs to be fixed for the Sharks to make that clear up. You know, there's definitely sufficient talent in the team, you would think. Um, you know, like a lot of those guys have been touted as potential future Springboks, guys like Pepsi, guys like um, Dylan Richardson, obviously Grant Williams is definitely in the picture. Um, Kerwin Bosch has found for them again. But you know, they just don't seem to be able to link a proper strong performance together over eight minutes. Yeah. I, I think um, I definitely agree with your one comment about them sort of this match particularly is almost reverting to that Sean Everett era of just hugely frustrating to try and watch even as a non-Sharks fan just hoping to see like a little bit of inspiration and it happens like you said there is some attacking like positive attacking play but just generally the it does I think it still looks like poor coaching and maybe it is a bit harsh on um, Neil Neil Powell, um, yep. just, uh, you know, not having that much time in the job. But he's also super inexperienced, especially as a 15, obviously has a lot of sevens experience, but as a 15s coach. So I don't know if they're going to back him in the long run or try and get like a big name. Like I mean, he wasn't players. meant to be the, the coach, you know, you exactly, didn't come yeah. into the director of rugby. He wasn't meant to be the, the hand on the field coach. And obviously the, the string of really poor results, obviously culminating in a 35 nil loss. Um, yeah. The card is like, you know, Everett had to go. Um, and so, yeah, who knows? Maybe they are biding their time so that they can make a proper marquee signing. Um, you know, maybe that's where Ian Foster is going to go off the World Cup. <laughs> maybe that's why Razor hasn't committed yet because he's actually coming to Sharks. I mean, he likes the surfing lifestyle. I can see the linkages there. Um, I mean, that's Although, a good of note. But, he, he, maybe yeah. he doesn't trust the water yeah, in uh, Durban, so <laughs> it might be a deterrent. 
<laughs> as he shouldn't. Yeah, I don't think he'd appreciate his blonde locks becoming brown. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would hope that they've got their that should be their number one. Then the next big spend is on a coach, not on another marquee player. Yeah, are we? He coaches are we all into the salary cap issue. I wouldn't think so. No, don't think so. Um, are we? You're talking about individual brilliance there, uh, and you mentioned one name. Are we all in agreement that um, Grant Williams probably deserves to go to the World Cup ahead of Herschel Yankees at the moment? So, if, if I can go first, and um, I think yes, above Herschel Yankees, that's a given. But I don't think that he should go above either. He, or he hasn't shown enough for me, I think, to go above Faf, obviously. But then you still have Reynach and Jaden Hendrickson. So for me, he's still below those three. Um, hmm. Attacking-wise, he's been very, very impressive. I think he needs to show more, um, I don't know what the right word is, uh, but just more, you know. Yeah, tactical like, yeah, tactical play, tactical awareness, that sort of thing. Like at, in, at international level, I mean, he, he's already not necessarily being exposed for it, but there are moments which you can see it for the Sharks at URC level. So I wouldn't want to have to worry about that at Springboks level in a World Cup. So he just, I, I, I would be happy to back him going forward a bit more. But for this World Cup, I think it's too soon. Yeah, and, no, I, I completely agree. If you've got Fast and Reinach as two very established options, and we've got Jaden who's kind of banging the door down just through very good performances. You know, there isn't space for a full scrum off. But I would say he's quite, I would say he's comfortably fourth in the pecking order ahead of Lahamba and Yankees. Yeah. But is Paul DeVett ahead of uh, Yankees? In <laughs> <laughs> the Springboks pecking order? <laughs> Uh, the storm is, I think, not, but maybe, <laughs> you know, I, I guess uh, Herschel's experience in the Springbok setup might still put that. Uh, no, I know. But form-wise, yeah. Been starting ahead of Herschel, like. Yeah. So, I think well, he had, like, a decent game recently, but it's been quite sad just seeing his how far he has dropped. Yeah. Let's, let's, sure. say, let's put it this way. Paul DeVette's in my draft squad. And Herschel Yankees is a free agent, so... And you've also drafted every single backline player in the tournament. <laughs> so that's really the statement. Yeah. Look, I, I dropped he, Angelo Davids. <laughs> and he keeps trying to get uh, Valencia from me, making outrageous trade offers, which I keep having to say no to, so... <laughs> He's trying he to the full set. Yeah. Do you think if you start a draft backline of all teams, 9 to 15, you get, like, bonus points? Is that a rule? Surely, like like rugby eight team chemistry vibes. Yeah. <laughs> Plus fifty like percent score. Akira and Rico bonus that we never really had, but we always spoke about in Super Rugby. <laughs> we need to start making some ridiculous draft like many rules. Bring back captaincy. Bring back like yeah. Bring chemistry players in. If you start a center combo or like a front row together, yeah, you get a points bonus. The super sub that they have on the Six Nations fantasy and that they had on the end of year tour one, it's pretty interesting to like bet on what sub is going to come on and do well and get triple points. That's something yeah. that just certainly oh, makes it more spicy. Allow Fuinga if he's on the bench. Or well, Booker's on the bench. Yeah, for, for me, it's normally Dan Sheehan or Renan Kelleher. That's what I do, so not, not too far off. <laughs> um. Yeah, but we've got a, a week, a weekend full of URC this week. Um, from a South African perspective, obviously the two big games are the Stormers hosting the Sharks here in Cape Town, and the Bulls hosting the Lions up there in the north. So Stormers, Sharks, uh, Stormers at home, they're surely the favourites given current form of both teams at the moment. But what about the protests? I, I, I have heard very little, but I did read something about, is it clubs, local clubs protesting? Um, I thought, so, I thought yeah. it was the Bullies that wanted Newlands protesting, but it could be no. both. Maybe they're joining forces. Yeah, so I, I know that the Stormers became official. Um, I don't know exactly what, what it's called, but they officially are like permanent residents now of the stadium. And they've also announced that they're doing a hybrid pitch. I think it's for next season. So that should be interesting. See if it makes a difference. I mean, I, I don't love that. 
but given how shit the Stormers' turf is, like it's probably good for them. But I mean, given the accounts of every other player talking about artificial pitches, they hate them. Although I think I think the hybrids are fine. It's the, the fully artificial ones that Oaks really not enjoy. I think the hybrid ones people people don't mind them too much. And I don't think the injury rates have been proven to be as high on those versus artificial turfs. Are we, yeah, we going to see Stephen Kitzoff in like like leggings though? Well, make a size yeah, of maybe, big enough to fit Stephen Kitzoff. Maybe when he moves to Ulster and it's cold enough, yeah. <laughs> Should have uh, that confirmed? I forgot. Yeah, Kitzoff's Kitzoff's off at the end of the season, um, but. John Dobson had a, a comment um, when he was chatting to some journalists about the hybrid pitch, and he says, yeah, I've just got to... The first thing I did was call Franz Malherbe and tell him. Because <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the pitch at um, Anelis in Newlands um, at um, the stadium, Greenpoint, it, it was made for soccer, basically. And they, they said that during the winter when the, the British and Irish Lions were here and they played lots of games on that pitch, it really, like, really messed it up. Um, so... Yeah, uh, I think they're pretty happy about it, and the hybrid's better than the fully artificial. I think I think you're right there. But the 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 sharks shark stormers game, if if the sharks had put Ulster away, uh, wouldn't have had such significance. But now that Ulster are breathing down the Storms' neck for a home um, quarter, home semi, potentially home final, depending on results. Uh, although I don't think anyone's going to knock Leinster out, but um, it now becomes important. So the sharks have sort of Made the made this into a bigger game than it would have been if they'd knocked over Ulster. So it, it's important for for the Sharks to try and keep you know in the top seven because it's looking like the top Welsh team is going to take that last European spot and they're going to be outside the top eight. So that's a tricky one. The Sharks have to be in the top seven, and the Stormers want that that home run all the way to through, to the finals if they can. So it's it's a big game in the context of the table. Yeah, I think I'm not 100% sure, but I'm I think that the spring box is still not going to be available. So, as we were saying earlier, the Stormers seem to have fared a lot better without spring box. I think if um, you know, it's a bit and Khaleesi and all of the Sharks big boys were starting, it would be a lot more of an interesting game. But given that I they shouldn't be available, I think the Stormers will feel like they sh- should get the win. Um and some elite balls and lines just uh Bulls this season have looked far superior. So the Lions hopefully can put together a decent performance and run them close. But at Loftus, like any, it, that would be a huge shock and surprise, I think. Yeah, I must say, I, yeah, I mean, especially given the result from the Sharks good Storms game, what, three weeks ago when they got drilled in Durban? Right. I, I don't see it necessarily going much different to that. Yeah, I must say, I, I went to Loftus for the first time a couple of weeks ago to watch that. Bull Stormers game, um, and at first I was massively scared to wear a Stormers jersey. I considered not wearing it because I was worried I was going to get assaulted in the stands. Uh, that notwithstanding, like what a what an incredible atmosphere! Like rugby is an absolute religion in Pretoria, and I don't think Mornay Stain has ever paid for a meal or a drink or anything in Pretoria. That oak is like hero worshipped to the max. It's unbelievable. He came on the field. The whole stadium just like went absolutely crazy, and and to his credit, I mean he nearly he brought the Bulls straight back into the game, kicked an incredible 50-22, and then um, had a, another couple of influential moments. So yeah, I mean just amazing to to be at Loftus and watching watching Mornay do his thing and just seeing the crowd getting behind him. So I mean he's he's like nearly 40 years old and they've they've awarded him a benefit year now, which is I guess piece of news we can we can comment on. It's pretty cool. Um, he's been a pretty impressive Bulls servant over the decades, literally. Um, but yeah, Loftus is an absolute fortress, and I, I can understand why now. Yeah, they did a really, really good job of just uh, hyping up that game and selling as many tickets as they did. And then obviously, as you say, the atmosphere for that game was also right up there in terms of some of those classics, you know, where you see then- Bulls playing in a ball stadium. They've already sold like 14,000 tickets or something for the Lions game. I mean, it's yeah. really, really good numbers. Yeah. So, And I saw the Stormers have opened up the second ring um, at the Cape Town Stadium this weekend. So obviously doing some pretty decent numbers on the tickets for no, this game. I, I, I seem to remember a stat, which was, I think, before even the 40,000 uh, thing. But the average attendance to South Africa 
there's been like 25,000 people or something mad. You know, it's, I mean, in Durban, and apparently Durban's been leading the way, which is even more impressive considering how poor their attendances were very, very recently. So it is just really, really, and, and it's been upset by about three people going to watch the Lions each week. So imagine how high those, those averages would be if the Lions actually had a crowd. Um, yeah. But it's, no, it's, it's really, really cool to see rugby being properly supported back. And so any criticisms of the URC, I think, are fully dispelled now. I mean, you know, obviously, we went there, we performed performing in Europe, we've got crowds back in stadiums, like interest in rugby is back in South Africa and it's brilliant to see. Yeah, yeah it yeah. feels like it feels like in general live sport in South Africa has made such an in- incredible rebound since pandemic days. Like you had the cricket as well, the SA twenty was mental how many pit- people pitched up for that. And then the women's T twenty World Cup as well. It helped that South Africa got into the knockout stages, but the the attendance there was also incredible. It just feels like South Africans are just so hungry for for stadium yeah. experiences, and the organisers are are delivering, and the and the quality is good. So, yeah, it's I great. I think it's, people also learn the lesson. I mean, Stormers tickets are still fifty rand. They're not charging for two hundred rand. They're charging pre-pandemic. And I think that's the issue. So, people have very tight budgets, and they have a lot of choice for their entertainment. So, offer them a lack of time that's going to cost them fifty bucks, and then they'll come and do it. And then they go and they have a great time and they end up spending three, four hundred rand on beer. It's it supports everyone, everyone wins. The players get a full stadium, the sponsors get eyes on the team and eyes on the field. Uh, the, play, the people have a great time. But I think you know, all, the, all the sports being apart from the Formula E, but everything has been cheap and that's what people have gone. And it's just made a much better atmosphere all around, which is what we've been advocating for, I don't know, 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> Only took a blow with pandemic for the rugby organizers to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I know the Bulls tickets have been cheap every single week. I think like the most expensive Stormers ones are still like 200, the like halfway, but you can get some tickets for as cheap as definitely at uh, max 50, but I think even cheaper on some weekends. So yeah, they, you know, they've taken note and it's working. So may it continue and hopefully we'll see some good crowds this weekend. Um, but moving away from some better news from a South African perspective to some extremely poor um, performances over the weekend, if we move to the sevens, and I don't know if you guys caught any of the sevens. I didn't, but just reading about it was pretty horrific reading. Um, did qualify for the quarters, but only won one game out of three in the pools, I believe, and then got put away by Fiji 28-7. to before getting absolutely smashed by Samoa 45-5 to finish, I think, eighth in the in the tournament. So this was in Los Angeles on the weekend. Um, somehow still third in the overall tournament, just given the good early performances um, at the end of last year. But it seems like all is not well in the sevens camp. Yeah, I said that's been the case for the last year or so. I mean, obviously started last tournament, last season, Got five wins on the trot, almost breaking the record for the most consecutive wins. And kind of since there, it's just been abject performance after abject performance, with the only exceptions being the win at the Commonwealth Games, obviously. And then they won, I think, Dubai again. But Dubai's always been a really strong uh, performer for the Springboks. Um, I mean, in, in the Cape Town Stadium, we lost to Ireland, I'm pretty sure, in the final pool game, and then went out in the quarters of the semis. That's it's. it's just really not been a good season. Um, I suppose, yeah. Um, Neil Powell moving off, not necessarily the issue since the the poor run started before that. I mean, they have lost more and more and more senior players. So you're looking at some of the, if you look at the squad now, it's very different to the squad from even a year and a half ago. Um, There's a lot of youngsters in there. There's very few even of the new generation of senior players, the guys like Zane David, Talbot David, uh, JC Victoria, obviously moved off the Lions. You know, those guys that have kind of just started rebuilding the team around, a lot of them weren't available, haven't been available for extended periods of time. So, I don't know. Is it just a really long extended rebuilding phase, do you think? I mean, there's, there's the new coaching staff as well. Um, and, yeah, it's disappointing to see the Bliss Box not performing. I mean, there's some horrific results and... I'm surprised Ant didn't just say it's all Travis Ishmael's fault, but <laughs> um, look, that, that what just I, what highlights I, how bad it is. If you're looking to him for answers, <laughs> yeah, um, I felt like 
yes, we played badly and yes, it's disappointing. But then the coach came out and said things like, this this performance wasn't worthy of being a blitzbok and we disgraced the badge on our chests and shit. Like, that is, like, that might be true, but that feels like terrible morale management when you're, when your guys are down and they've they've underperformed, like own it, but speak positively about coming back in Vancouver this next weekend or something like that. Don't just say you've you've disgraced your country by your performances. I mean, have have those conversations behind closed doors. Don't say that to the media. That's just my opinion. Well, I suppose different coaches have different ways of motivating their team and not maybe read. I suppose good coaches will be able to read the room of what fires them up. Do they need a behind the door kind of pat on the back or do they need a public disguising? Hopefully uh, the current coach has, has picked the right motivation tool. Um, but yeah, those were very, very harsh words to come out and say about the team. Yeah. I, I, and, and not unfair, to be fair. No, not unfair. But if, if, is that the right method? I guess the... You know, we'll we'll see how they respond and react this weekend. I think it's this weekend in Vancouver. You said Andrew. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you know, if it doesn't necessarily prove that it was the right thing to do, if they do bounce back and have a really good performance, but at least it shows that it sort of has been somewhat effective. But that is, yeah, I agree. It's um, it is it's so publicly almost straight after the game or whenever he said, you know, you would think that maybe that was a, almost a heat of the moment reaction from the coach. So. We'll see um, how how that goes, and hopefully the sevens will pick themselves up and just put on a better performance rather than winning one game. I think they just won one game the whole weekend. <laughs> yeah, against Canada of all people. <laughs> and now we're going to Vancouver, so yeah. Um, so yeah, we we've spoken a bit about um, you know Six Nations rugby in the north, the URC, and the sevens now, but. Um, Going all the way south, where unfortunately there's no South African involvement anymore, but we still keep a relatively close eye on Super Rugby, uh, in large part to our traditional yearly draft, which has happened again, as we had last week Thursday. So if you really want to go and have a look at our teams that we drafted, it's available on our Twitter, I believe. Um, you can go tell us which team you think is best over there. But uh, yeah, so we've had a weekend of results. Um, just first impressions or any or any um, interesting draft stories you guys have from the weekend? And do you want to start us off? Well, I mean, I drafted Havosi, so that wasn't great. Um, <laughs> I didn't draft Belva, so I managed to avoid the biggest or the worst pick of the season already. Um, so that was that was great. So um, how close how close were you to drafting Bell? Was it close or was it not even? It, close? it was it was it was. 55-45 coin flip between Jordy Barrett and Val. It was oh, wow. really, really close. That's very close. Um, yeah. So, eventually went for Jordy just because I just had a slightly personal preference for him, really. It, it came down to that. I think my head was screaming, Val, but my heart said Jordy. Um, but, yeah, given the, the first week performance and obviously the fact that Jordy will be playing again this weekend, uh, same. <laughs> all, all condolences to Val. That's a horrible injury to yeah. get. Um, Especially in a World, World Cup. But yeah. Uh, yeah, from a personal team perspective, I'm very happy with my centre pair partnership and quite quite happy with my team across the board. Um, thought I put in a really nice, strong performance in round one. It just wasn't to be given. I was up against the juggernaut that is Adam this year. He's just put in the most unstoppable, ridiculous performance, leaving like over 100 points in his bench and still comfortably breaking the bonus point barrier. So, I don't feel bad about the loss. It's just, you know, it just, just shows that my team's, team's there and thereabouts. I just need the right opponent, which is so gone all, all guns and blazing to be full this weekend. Yes, it is me and you. And um, Adam had Mark Talia, who scored, I think it was 114 points in our system in the end. So that was ridiculous. He had and 280 run meters. That's 280. crazy. Wow. Is it that high? I just want to go check that. That sounds like a record or something, but I'll, I'll, I'll go it's have a look. It's ridiculous. That was the set I saw. Like, how? Yeah. The, the one thing I did notice just quickly watching that game and seeing Talia, it was a random run where he didn't even, um, it wasn't a clean break or it didn't lead to a try or anything, but he must have pushed off about seven defenders. Um, he's just, 
not that he, I mean, he is pretty good on his day, especially, but I think there is a level of intensity. Maybe just this is the first week that is, uh, that's not quite there in super rugby compared to what we see in URC on a weekly basis. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe that is a bit harsh on the Super Rugby. And now that, now that South Africans aren't there, it's like dropped a level two. Yeah. I mean, I think I think there is a lot more focus on attacking flair um, in the in the, the Super Rugby than there is in the USA. Like I've seen a couple of comments on Twitter and stuff about Super Rugby is just an attack race. There's no focus on defence, and that's always been the, the the case in the um, whichever sponsor is paying for the current iteration of the New Zealand local comp. Um, but that, I mean, that is a purely attack fest. There is absolutely zero consideration for the Zens in that. And it, when it was just round one kind of frenetics and people haven't bedded down their defense systems yet, but there was you know, a lot of probably uh, skeptical defense, <laughs> one could say at times. Yeah, I, I was... I mean, I was not happy with my round one performance, but I was pretty happy with my draft, which... There's a little bit of an alarm bell uh, going off there. Uh, I was devastated when Angus Bell went because he was my stalwart last season, a uh, very Andrew player. And uh, I'm, I'm over the moon now that I didn't get him. Got DMAC as my first pick. I'm a bit skeptical about how early I went for Jake Gordon at second pick. It was probably a round or two too early, maybe. Um, but I have Harry Johnson Holmes waiting in the wings. So. And I have Archer Holtz now as of this last trade window. So I have two two Tars props on my ranks. <laughs> I can't get away from the Warrior Tars. Uh, even on even on Super Brew, when they ask you like which which team in the comp do you support, I have to say the Warrior Tars because I, I have all the I have all the players. Of all teams, Warrior Tars are close to my bottom. I can be listed. They are the worst. They are the worst. Well, I've I've got I've got Jake Gordon, Archer Holtz, uh, Harry Johnson, Holmes, Lalaka Fiketi, Langi Gleeson. Like I've got like the whole Tars squad. Yeah, Lucky Swinson. So you know. Well, it could be awkward to to, to shout again. Seems to be fair because you're just going to tank your vanity scores. <laughs> <laughs> You're obligated to support them. That's why, that, that's, that's why Phil's a, a Christchurch supporter. Uh, yeah, but I, I want to know from Phil how he's feeling about his Will Jordan second pick. Uh, it's, um, I'm just hoping that he comes back. It's so hard to know what's going to happen, but it's not looking great. Just like The lack of news is bad news, I think, at this point. Like Not even getting mentioned on the injury reports and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, I... I We've got I, the We've gone. Yeah, I was tempted to take him with my first pick, to be honest. He's like my favorite player to watch by some distance in Super Rugby. So I, I, I really hated not having him last year. So <laughs> I was surprised <laughs> that he came back to me. Um, and I, I couldn't resist not picking him up as my second pick after Richie Moe. So, yeah, I, I do have a lot of Crusaders. I have an almost all New Zealand team, as is usually my case. But I do have a couple of um, token Australian players, the likes of Frozen Wright and... Dave Pericki, who I really don't like very much. So if you need another Waratah front row, I might want to swap with you there, Andrew. I, I, want, I want the Rugby 08 chemistry for my three Tars front rowers. Surely. Yeah. yeah. Who's, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it after this, but maybe we can we can figure out a trade. I'll, um, I'll, give, you, I'll give you Connell McInerney. A Brumbies <laughs> never goes with us. That sounds not so enticing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's, he's got Len though. He's got the best outside centre in the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> some say, some say, yeah. Um, yeah, I think one, but one noticeable thing from this weekend was I think it's making uh, quite a, a big difference to try and speed up the game and have, you know, lineouts and scrums and, um, like, without delays and just having the game move a lot faster. So I didn't watch all the games, especially Friday. I... My work, yeah, struggling to watch any Friday games. But, um, yeah, from what I watched on Saturday, all the games were noticeably faster and it made it more pleasant to watch, I think. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Uh, all these new rules around kick counters and resets and things. I mean, it's limited evidence after one round, but it certainly seemed to help. But also, we've been watching Northern Hemisphere rugby in shit weather like it's gonna be it's gonna be faster down in, in in New Zealand, for instance. So I think let's let's reserve judgment for now. But the initial signs are good. Yeah. Yeah, and we have some uh, big matches coming up this weekend. So uh, it's all in Melbourne. It's a super round. So 
all teams, all six or 12 teams are playing in the same stadium across three days. Um, Crusaders, Crusaders and Highlanders open it up tomorrow or Friday morning. Um, and then we also have Blues, Brumbies, Moana Pacifica against the Chiefs, Rebels, Hurricanes, Drua, Waratahs, and Force Reds. So maybe give that one a skip unless you're a Reds fan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's always exciting to have a full round of Super Rugby together with the URC this weekend. So we have uh, double drafting going on. So we'll see how that goes if everyone's able to juggle both. <laughs> No, I've, I've, I owe, I owe, I've got to come clean here to the audience, but I, I shouldn't. I should be relinquishing my position on this on this panel. I've, I'm disgracing myself in draft at the moment. I owe two down downs for round low scores in the both across both competitions. So I'm feeling very uh, very dejected about my my draft abilities. Yeah, <laughs> uh, some I think. Uh... I think it was the last URC round where you, you you seemed to give up and you only had like ten players playing. So <laughs> there's only I think it only goes up from here. So we'll, well see look, I, I I deliberately like packed my non-playing slots with my best possible players. I had like James Ryan and Eben Etzebeth and Evan Ruiz on like playing for me for like morale, but obviously scoring no points. So <laughs> I feel like I have a good squad. I've just uh, just got shit playing players is the problem. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it'll all come right in the playoffs then, even if it's in the bottom well, half. <laughs> you could have had a three-point loss against Phil last week in the URC, so oh, could, have could, have could have been worse. Could have been worse. That was that was heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, I think uh, moving on to final comments. And from your side, I know you'll be in Mauritius, and perhaps rugby won't be your number one priority. But if there's anything you're looking forward to across any competition, what would it be? Oh, I'm spending the day with Ben on a catamaran, so I'm sure there will be plenty of rugby spoken about if not watched. Um, in terms of games, um, I haven't actually looked at the fixture list too much. I mean, I normally would. I mean, I'm very disappointed to not be at the Shark Stormers game, despite expecting the Sharks to get pumped. But um, yeah, I think that that probably would be my highlight for the weekend. Yeah. Well, hopefully Ben is also going to smoke up something special for you. You know, you always used to be a classic um, podcast talking point about the different sort of meats that Ben is smoking in Mauritius. So we'll see, we'll see what he can do. Um, Andrew, from your side? Um, go Scotland. They're going to beat Ireland. Uh, go Waratahs. They're going to beat the Drua. And Stormers are going to beat the Shark. <laughs> All right. I think Scotland Island will only be the following weekend, but I'm sure by the time our next podcast comes out, it will, uh, you know, that game will have happened. Uh, we'll see. I mean, stranger things have happened. I, I think it's a realistic possibility that Scotland could take that one. Um, no, you're being generous, therefore. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Scotland at home. Maybe it's just the home advantage. I'm so glad I didn't do Super Brew for. Uh, Super Rugby, because it was almost all the away teams won, and I would have done awfully, because I give way too much um, to the home games, especially when when I think it's going to be close to the home teams. Well, I, I actually want to say, I think my I think my entertainment of the week is going to be uh, Chiefs versus Minor Pacifica. I think that's two running rugby teams. It's going to be open, it's going to be loose, lots of tries, lots of exciting plays. So it's going to be, like, from a rugby purist point of view, completely useless game but it's going to be fun to watch nice well Moana did win that game last year huh? did they but D-Mac so. well, one of the versions yeah I, I think it will be hopefully really open and really fun to watch yeah I, I'm also sad I won't be able to go to the stadium this weekend for that Sharkstormers match I have some other things going on but um my, I do have tickets for the Sharks Harlequins game, which is, I mean, the Stormers Harlequins game, which is, I think, the first of April. So, looking forward to that one. Making sure I don't. Has that oh, it's been released for that? I need to get tickets yeah. for that. Yeah, so oh. those were released a while ago. Yeah. And um, bonus, Marcus Smith isn't going to be tied down by England. Yeah, so hopefully he'll be here. Hopefully, um, it. I just want to see a really exciting game. I mean, it has so much potential. If the Springboks are playing for the Stormers, if you know Marcus Smith and Andreas Hazen and whatever else the Harlequins can bring full strength is here. Should be a really fun game to watch. But yeah, um, that, no, I'm very keen to that. Yeah, that's a, that is the 1st of April. So um, I think we'll, we'll have a, a podcast before then. 
maybe at the end of this month. We'll see how it goes. But yeah, thanks for joining, guys. I think uh, we have uh, a lot of rugby ahead of us, and we've spoken quite a bit about everything that's going on. There's been quite the mix, but yeah, lots of exciting things. Um, and thanks for joining us wherever you're listening from, and we'll catch you again uh, in, maybe in a month or so. Cheers. Cheerio. Cheers, guys.